Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duvernay are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB. We repeat it at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and in Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with a personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Happy Monday, Neil. How are you? Good. Um, we have uh, two or three hours without rain, so I can walk my dogs. <laughs> and the show is interrupting that. You're, you poor thing. You must be itching to get out. No, my dogs are itching to get out. <laughs> they don't. They don't like rain. <coughs> but it's yes. but it's but it's good for us, though. It is the long term for sure. It is. <laughs> So we have with us today, Michael French, who is an author and really a jack of all trades. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. I'd love to talk about everything. <laughs> so speaking of, every, speaking of everything, the first article today um, is about um, an explanation for why we're seeing a fairly strong economy despite the Fed's tight interest rate policy. And the article begins by saying that nearly 40% of mortgages were adjustable in 2008 to 2009. And today that's just 10%, which means that most people have fixed rate mortgages so that when interest rates change, it doesn't affect their cost of living because most people don't have to worry about having higher interest on their mortgage. At the same time, as the article says, you don't really care where interest rates are if you're going out to a restaurant. And so you have consumer spending, pent up demand driving it, and most people not having fixed rate, uh, variable rate mortgages is one of the reasons this article gives for uh, a fairly good consumer spending picture. The second article, before we get into it, I just wanted to compare the second article, um, which I think is really ironic, it's in the same newspaper, the Wall Street Journal, talks about the fact that 30-year-olds are piling up extraordinary debt on their credit cards and are basically in real trouble during this period where most consumers are doing well. So what we have here, which is true, I think, for all aspects of the economy, we've got like a dichotomy. You've got most people doing better than we expected using some of the COVID emergency money. And again, as we said, not having to worry about their mortgage rate going up right now. And yet, for whatever reason, uh, Americans in their 30s are appear to be in trouble and their debt keeps rising. That is a conundrum because the 30-year-old subset, most of them, you know, during COVID still moved back home with their parents. And so it makes me scratch my head and wonder what they're spending on their credit card. Um, right? Do you, do you think my kids are going to move back in with me? They're not in the 30-year-old subset. As much oh. as in your mind, you'd like to think that. They, they <laughs> move at each bracket. <laughs> no, that's, okay, so I'm safe now. They're not going to come knocking on my door? Don't give them a chance. I think you're safe. Yeah. Um, so... Um, the next article is entitled More Auto Payments Are Late Consumer Exposing uh, Cracks in Consumer Credit. Um, and um, what this article is talking about is the fact that there has been an increase in auto lending for people with marginal credit. And during the COVID period and rising uh, uh, car or used car prices, it didn't seem to be a problem. But right now we're seeing a rise in uh, auto loan uh, uh, delinquencies 
that is now beginning to uh, cause some of the lenders to to cut back. Uh, again, here, I'm not sure how many of these are in the 30s age group, but um, with a combination of some groups having economic problems and uh, used car prices declining for the, for, for the last couple of months, we're seeing some cracks. And this is one of the first places that we saw credit decline before the uh, last recession. So it's a little bit worrisome. Yeah, it's interesting because as autos have continued to hold their value through, you know, COVID due to lack of supply, now we have more and more people looking to purchase a car, you start to see cracks in that credit. And that is the first place that that we normally see some shakiness. The next article was in this weekend's Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled, It's Time to Stop Demonizing Buybacks. In fact, there was an article today about buybacks, and it's really controversial. Some of the uh, liberal economists say that it's really not a very good way to spend money uh, for corporations. Others say it's the normal economic uh, cycle where if a company cannot earn as much as their shareholders can earn, they should give back money uh, in terms of buybacks. Uh, so the article begins by saying, uh, buyback timing has not always been great. Uh, Lehman Brothers bought $2.6 billion uh, right before it went bankrupt in its own stock. Uh, the Citibank Group bought $20 billion in shares uh, right before it went under and needed a $45 billion government bailout in 2009. And Bed Bath & Beyond recently repurchased 265 million shares. And there's really talk now about them as well being at the point where they may have to file for bankruptcy. And so um, it's not as if the companies are doing this because they're trying to uh, fool the shareholders that are owning the shares. It's, in my view, it's simply good economics in the fact that as long as they are at a point where capital spending returns are not uh, as as uh, as good as the shareholder uh, opportunity cost, they should buy back shares, particularly if the value of the stock in the company's view is uh, much higher than the stock uh, is selling for. Of course, look, the three examples they give, uh, companies are really not uh, typically uh, the best in terms of timing. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because it does look like Bed Bath & Beyond is on the brink. And the fact that those three examples that you cited, they all did share buybacks right before they, you know, filed for bankruptcy doesn't show a great track record. But I think what the article misses the, the mark on is there are many companies that have done share buybacks, especially in recent years. You look at Apple, you know, everybody has, has done share buybacks as their balance sheets have continued to bloom with, with cash. And so it's it, I think, led to an increased share price, which perhaps could be inflated, was inflated at the time. You know, I think we all should give Diane props because I know what the articles are. Diane doesn't. So I'm surprising her with the articles and I'm looking at her to comment, even though she has had no time to prepare. So that's how smart she is. Uh, the next the last two articles are similar. They're. Uh, about the craziness that's taking place in the marketplace today. And I got to tell you, as, as skeptical as I've been about cyber currency, this article really was off the wall and even surprised me. And it's about, is this was, again, it was in the Wall Street Journal and it's entitled Tiny Group of Coders, C-O-D-E-R-S, is critical to Bitcoin. And it turns out there's a group of three or four, maybe five brainiacs that are in charge of making sure that the cyber currency uh, change exchanges work. And that's really nuts. You've got these unnamed, probably you know 19 year olds who are at the heart of the entire uh, technological transaction base and people are willing to put their money in uh, where these uh, five or six, uh, dudes, if they are dudes, um, are uh, keeping what uh, hopefully is a safe environment, which has not been such a safe environment. So anyway, this is another example of how crazy the world has gotten, uh, particularly with cyber currency. 
really though that's been that's the the story of cyber currency from the get-go you know no one knows who created it it has all this allure and it's it's like a good fiction novel and so i think that's definitely where you the allure of cryptocurrency comes from who started it no one knows everybody it's this one random name and there's been rumors that even somebody in santa barbara was was the founding father of it it it, it adds to its allure and i think that's part of its selling point so the last article is uh is as crazy as you can get there are options uh known as odtes uh which are options that expire Today, there are options with zero days left. You know, as we know, an option is the right to buy a stock at a fixed price. So these are these are options that are uh, basically have less than twenty four hours to go up to the price where you can make some money. And there are a bunch of young people that have bought into the concept that while you may lose money on most of them, it really makes sense to buy these. Uh, ODTEs, which even the option uh, exchanges are worried because um, it is really, really speculative. So you can you imagine you're buying into a security that has to go up that day or you lose all your money? That doesn't like that doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that? Why? Well, you know, uh, the, the reason I think prices. The re well, he, here's the reason, you know, in, in his book, uh, uh, Black Swan, uh, Nicholas Taleb said that one of the ways to make money is to buy every option there is, because even though 99% of them will end up being a loser, the one or two that work is uh, going to result in a very large gain. So I think this is where this kind of stems from. But at least in some of Taleb's calculations, you buy a week or two weeks of war of life left. Here, the stock has to rise that day. Now it's hardly leveraged, obviously, because if it does go up, you actually make a lot of money. But the idea of investing in something that has less than 24 hours to work is, in my view, and I guess your view too, completely nuts. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. The organization known as Communify provides services and programs so Santa Barbara County's vulnerable populations can achieve economic stability and thrive. Here's Julie Weiner. Our focus is on really addressing the complex issues around poverty and what puts people into poverty and keeps people into poverty. So the name Communify means unifying the community against these issues and trying to help people. We have 16 programs currently that help low-income children, families, teens, and seniors. We are the provider of all 23 Head Start and Early Head Start campuses. We also run the 211 Santa Barbara County Helpline. If anybody out there who's listening today needs our support, please contact us. Our phone number is 1-800-655-0617. To learn more about the services and programs offered by Communify, go to communifysb.org or call 1-800-655-0617. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers, 
in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. If you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Michael French with us. He is an author. And, you know, Michael, thanks for taking the time to spend with us today. We appreciate it. I'm happy, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to talk about anything, books or publishing or whatever else is going on in the marketplace. So, so share with us about your journey of being an author, because it definitely is a unique path and we'd love to hear about it. Well, it's an unusual path. Um, um, the, the first thing I should say is that uh, age being what it is, I've been at this game or this profession on and off for almost 50 years. And um, that seems like a long time to most people. Um, but uh, my odyssey started at a very high spot. Um, uh, I was in the army, got out of the army, looking for a job, got a job, public relations, dealing with writing annual reports. So I getting to know balance sheets. And uh, I, I was always writing on the side, but I became very uh, interested in doing research in whatever I was gonna write on. The first successful book I had was called Abingdon's. And it was all about really the research, what goes on in a department store from the basement to the executive suite and who's doing what to whom. And it was just a magnet for speculation and fantasy and who knows what else. Aaron Spelling, if you, if you remember that name, he made a TV series out of it and all that. And I thought, God, this is easy. This became a, a semi bestseller. Let's go on to number two. And I had a two book contract with Doubleday. And the second book was just, it was a dud. It just didn't work. And I didn't know why it didn't work. I didn't know therefore why the first book didn't work, but I kept at it. And my journey was always write when you can. If you can't, if you don't write at least a sentence a day, you're not a serious writer. And, but if you can't make money at it, get another job. So I'm, I've always been in and out of the marketplace with other jobs. So you, you say that very modestly, other jobs, you know, you truly are an entrepreneur as well. How did you get involved in residential brokerage from you know, what you shared with us, right? Yeah. Now. yeah. So to be an entrepreneur, my, my, my definition or my day was like, how do I make more money without getting paid a slave wage? Um, you have to go out and risk, take risks, risk capital, risk your time. And my wife and I feel the same way. Um, to fast forward the story, uh, we moved from New York after seven years living in Brooklyn Heights, moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. We started a real estate firm. Because that seemed to us to be, well, you could be entrepreneurial if you're imaginative, if you're good at marketing, if you're willing to take risk. And we started a firm with just the two of us. And over the next 27 years, it became the second largest firm in New Mexico. And that was time for us to sell it. We sold it to Sotheby's. Um, and then we kind of began inching into um, Santa Barbara. As a, as a place to live too. But that that and, and buying and selling real estate for 25 years, knowing when to buy, hoping you know when to buy and hoping you know when to sell. And if you can get it right 70% of the time, you know, you'll make, you'll make money. Uh, there are not many nonstop flights from New York to Albuquerque. Um, how did you pick New Mexico? Well, if you want to know the true story, our son was two years old. He was in his feeding chair Big Bird and Sesame Street was on TV and he was singing a song. Uh, he was in Santa Fe baking bread in what's called a horno oven. And he was singing on our way, going to Santa Fe, humming singing. We said, this is a divine sign. So we looked into Santa Fe, decided this is the place to go. Went out and bought a house in a week, packed up a U-Haul truck, put Timmy in the back seat, the front seat, and we got on Santa Fe. It's a good thing he wasn't singing the McDonald's uh, commercial. You'd end up, you know, hanging out in front of McDonald's eating hamburgers. Well, we did that too. <laughs> you have no money. Right? <laughs> fast food. Come on, you need fast food to survive. So it I, feels like your your wife must be a, a risk taker alongside. Usually in, in relationships, one is a risk taker and one is more conservative. How did you manage to embark upon this journey together? Well, see, that's a that's another big $64 question. I mean, I don't know many couples, especially who've been married as long as we have. I think Neil has, but um, but working together, not just uh, raising a family and having different jobs and then coming home and keeping it all together, 
but sharing your workday with your spouse too. Um, you really have to be able to ride the ups and downs. You're going to have your you're going to have your differences, but uh, if your bond, if your motive, if if you're unified in the objective of making a financial success and in serving a market well, you you overcome the you you overcome the rough patches and you stick it out. And we did. Now, who's well? Congratulations on that. Before my next question, you know that's you know oh. marriage. Marriage not working together is is um, at times challenging. Marriage is a, is a tough balancing act, no matter what. Correct, and so you managed to do it with grace and style. So congratulations to you. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so now, how did you determine residential real estate? Though was it a passion of yours or a passion of your wives? You were um, driving taxis in New York, if if my if I'm correct there, right? Yeah. Yeah, when, when the economy got bad, um, you know, you bounce along. And uh, I mean, we had years where we just, you know, just got by, you know, month to month. Uh, but that didn't daunt our ambitions. Uh, the idea of real estate was really Pat's idea because um, we said we have to be serious. And she said, well, I can go to law school, but I wouldn't like that. And I love looking at homes and I love architecture. And I love design and all that stuff. So she parlayed that into... Um, a business because she has a great personality. She's very smart. She works well with people, which is not always my claim to fame. I try, but she does it much better. And um, so we had different roles within the firm. And um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's that's how it got started. Well, usually real estate is a passion of somebody's. And, and so that may, it makes it sound like Pat's maybe the one that, that kind of drove that, um, bus and you you brought the numbers to to the business yeah i i did two things i was the janitor in the beginning picking up trash at the end of the day we only had eight agents and we couldn't afford to hire a person to do the 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 the, the firm um and her job was to go out and you know and, and socialize and meet people and if you're friendly with other people and they trust you they'll trust you with their home so going back to your question about residential, why did we do that as opposed to commercial? Commercial real estate, we've done some of that too, but that's not about feelings and it's not about inter interpersonal connections. It's really a radically different thing. It's about numbers, about balance sheets, about the return on equity, et cetera, et cetera. So two different, two different animals. You're listening, to money, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Our family has been here in over 30 years. We've always been in the hospitality business. So when we're looking for a bank to finance our deal, American Rivera actually stepped up for us. They know Santa Barbara well. Right now, we don't have any plan to open another hotel, but if we do in the future, we'll be talking to American Riviera Bank for sure. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank, bank on better. Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Among his many achievements, Benjamin Franklin helped found America's first hospital, the Pennsylvania Hospital, which opened this month in 1752 in Philadelphia. Since its founding, the hospital's doctors have made advances in many fields, notably surgery. Today, there are 7,100 hospitals in the U.S., employing some 5.8 million people in the $877 billion per year business of healing. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau.
Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So Michael, your main genre of um, books that you have written have been about geared towards that young adult book. What got you interested in that genre in particular? Actually, I've written I've written maybe half my books have been young adult. They've either been young adult the young adult novels or they've been what's called adaptations of adult books for young adult audiences, which when I was younger was defined 10 to 14 or 12 to 15. Now an eight-year-old is considered a, a, a young adult reader. But um, so I started out writing a novel, what's called The Throwing Season. I was fortunate I got reviewed in the New York Times. I also got New York uh, Abingdon's, the first book I mentioned, reviewed in the New York Times. So I had some currency, had a good agent, and she parlayed that I could do either young adult to, to an editor, or I could do adult, or I could do bios, I could do, I could do fiction, adaptation, whatever. So I became a journeyman of sorts. Um, I, I didn't have time focusing on real estate to order to do the full thing of writing that I'd like to do. So something came my way. I did young adult, but, um, and, and my, my most important work though, I think now is adult fiction. I, um, a young adult, if you're, if you're getting too old, you, you lose touch with kids. And, you, and if you're not in touch with each generation of, of the 10, 12, 14, 16 year olds, forget it. You don't have any credibility with an audience. And you know, you're just really talking to yourself or your past. But adult fiction, where I am now, it's fun to be uh, provocative and innovative. I don't have to play by any rules. Uh, we have the means to do whatever we want with our lives now. So I'm going to apply it to uh, a book like I just wrote, which is Ghost with Two Hearts. So, so tell us about Ghost with Two Hearts. What interested you in writing a book? Um, with a Japanese culture? Um, two things. One, my father fought in the war. He, on the, uh, he was a, a medical doctor with assigned to the Marines. He fought in Saipan and Okinawa. He brought back with him from the war, a sword, a Japanese officer's sword from a battle on, on the last battle on Saipan. That's all I ever knew. That's all he ever said. And when you're young and you're in a house where you don't ask questions of your authoritarian <laughs> father, you just never know. But then he passed away and I always wondered what, where did he get the sword and what does it mean? Simultaneously, my wife and I began traveling. We travel a lot. We traveled over to hundred countries, I think if we count everything, but we've been to Japan now three times. They're going back for a fourth time. It's this one of those cultures. A lot of people go to Italy or France and something just sticks with them. They go back again and again and again. That's how we are with Japan. It's like peeling back layers. So I read the book and I didn't realize that there was some history behind the father and the sword. Um, how, how much of the backstory uh, with the father, and I'm not going to ruin anything for those who haven't read it yet, how, how much of any similarities between the father not really communicative with the son and your father? Well, I think, I think there is some, there's some parallels to that. But, but uh, in a larger sense, um, the sword represents, number one, Adrian, the main character. It's his opportunity to make himself feel better about his own life. He's not happy in America. He's a successful coder. Uh, he has lots of stock options doesn't do well in relationships. He doesn't have a lot of uh, friends. Doesn't, I think America is very, uh, you know, divided and polarized, you know, which it is. But by doing something morally correct, like taking a, for, a sword that he thinks his father, in this case, the grandfather stole from a Japanese officer in a very climactic, hot, hostile battle, he's gonna be find the right owner 50 or 60 years later and give them the sword and feel better about himself morally and make that Japanese family happy. That's his assumption. And at the same time, the book is really a love story. The, the, well, the, the book has several layers. And when you go to Japan enough times, it is a culture of accretion. It is a culture of layers, of history, of religion, of, of, of victories and defeats. 
and, 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 a, and a, a, a unity among the society about doing the right thing together and not disobeying. But part, part of the part of the Japanese character does like to rebel. So Adrian runs into what turns out to be a ghost. And bear in mind, this is a, a supernatural thriller. So that's a metaphor for saying, suspend your disbelief because there's some truth here in the relationship between a living person and a Japanese ghost. So if you can accept that, the ghost teaches him things that he would never learn in America. And she tells him repeatedly, don't return the sword. Don't give back the sword to anyone. Take, take it home, get out of here, go back, get out of Japan. And no, 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 I must return the sword. This is what I know is right morally. And she says, no, 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 no. So that's, that's the conflict, one of the so, so what's interesting is the, the book uh, as a fantasy obviously works but it didn't have to be a ghost. I mean, the book could have been a real person. What uh, made you decide to add this fantasy element to it? Because um, in Japan, you cannot escape the importance of understanding their religion and the number of gods they have and how they incorporate that in, let's say, into their kabuki theater and no theater. It's like, you know, this is the way they look at reality and the, uh, the main god in this story, it's a goddess named Minara, Anari. Um, she goes back nine, 10 centuries. And at different times in Japanese society, she was the goddess of sword makers. She was the goddess of, of businessmen. Then she was the goddess of farmers. She, her role was, was adapted by people to get what they needed from superpowers at the time. So that kind of flexibility, that said to me, well, you can be flexible in your story because this is the way the Japanese construe their reality. Do, so do, do, do the Japanese uh, who review this book feel any sense of um, uh, of rejection of an American doing something that's this sensitive to their culture? Do, do they object to you putting your nose into this or are they appreciative of it? I can't even answer that question because I haven't got the book. The book has been out for less than a month. So I have a, a you know, I have a marketing tour aimed just at Japan so I can answer that better. Um, but I think there's a lot of interest in it from what I've done on, 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 on Facebook. So, um, so, so we'll see. And how important do you think it was for you to have had multiple trips to Japan in order to really write this as authentically as, a, as possible? Okay, so two things on that. So um, the more, as I say, the more often we went to Japan, the more we saw, the more we experienced, the more we interpreted our first interpretations of Japan from an earlier trip or the more things we saw. Um, and I, I just thought, you know, I think I can, I, I don't, why am I relating so much to this culture? As an author, I said that, why am I so involved? And that also brings up thoughts about is there a superstitious reality that was, is, is, or am I being, uh, do I permeate this? Am I already absorbing it by osmosis? So um, if th that's, that's one reason that we, we really got into it. I, I think there's a, there's a, was a challenge at some point for an author writing this kind of book, you got to maintain credibility. Credibility, you got to bring a reader in, not thinking this is a worthless fantasy, but fantasy is a metaphor for what the truth but you gotta be like, you have to write it as a memoir. You have to be very careful in the, on how the sentences you put together, they have to seem almost deadpan. So when someone says, oh, this is just a travelogue. And then that allows you to slowly bring in elements of the supernatural, including how Adrian meets the ghost and believe it. Because you must believe it to believe in the lessons that he learns. And, and you have to believe their love story. And their love story is not a romantic love story. It's a different kind of love, which you will find in Japan. You don't find it often in America. That speaks that it could actually have a, have a better audience in Japan where they can perhaps relate to it as less fiction or less fantasy than Americans. I, I think that's true. And you should also know if you don't, you probably already, Japan, Japanese, especially young Japanese, they go crazy about ghost stories. They have a whole canon of ghost stories that go back a thousand years or 1200 years. And they're more, and they're morality tales sometimes. They're about mischievous ghosts. They're about ghosts seeking revenge, ghosts who are lonely and lost. And I could easily take that, and I did take that, 
into the atmosphere of the story. And so Adrian is a lonely person. He had a bad marriage. And so he's looking at a woman who uh, at first he thinks, God, this is like the perfect companion. I could sit and talk to her all day. You know, I'm not into any kind of physical stuff. I'm just into having someone who understands me. That's what all men want, right? Someone who understands me. But then he begins to realize, wait a minute. She's much more complicated than I thought. And then he begins getting into her and her troubles. And what is she, why is she a ghost? What is she doing here? Why is she in his, his, his Airbnb? So, you know, it's just a lot of room for comedy. There's a room for, for uh, emotional longing. And there's, there, there's a cry for resolution at the end. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. You use Tearless Baby Shampoo because it's gentle on your baby's eyes. You make sure his toys don't have any sharp edges. You always test the bath water to make sure it's not too hot. You taught her what to do when the smoke alarm goes off. You make sure she wears a helmet when she rides her bicycle. You put on his sunscreen, even when he's embarrassed his friends will see. You do so much to keep your child safe. But are you using the right car seat for your child? Is your child facing the right way in the car seat? Is the seat too big or too small? How do you know when it's time to move your child into the next type of seat? Car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. For information on the right seat for your child, visit safercar.gov slash the right seat. That's safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology. Mobile deposits for use of every ATM machine in the country and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So, Michael, you know, you you started your, your career as an author writing young adult books, and now you've transitioned to adult books. What would you say the differences are in writing both genres, and which have you enjoyed more? Um, you know, I, I enjoy each one, and, and but it's a life question. When I was younger, I enjoyed it writing young adult because I was a I was more in tune with my adolescence. Then, as you get older, you deal with more adult issues, so you make the transition, you know, to to adult fiction. Um, I, I I I some of my favorite books, though are um, young adult adaptations of an adult book, right? I've done like four or five of those. One of them was a, a pretty well-known book called Mountains Beyond Mountains. Tracy Kidder was the author. Dr. Paul Farmer was the subject matter. Do you know that book? I mean, it, it's a, uh, and Tracy Kidder speaks at the Santa Barbara Arts and Arts and Lecture thing uh, every so often. So when I got involved and could do research into that and the medical, uh, 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 medical aid to a to a third world country and how difficult that is. That brings out my emotions as a human being because I care about people that are less um, less lucky or less ambitious or less aware or less educated than we are. 
So I feel that's something that, that, that I need to do. And, and so, you know, that, that's great to, to hear that. What advice, if any, do you have for any aspiring authors out there? So, yeah. Okay. So advice today is that uh, when I first started writing, um, there were only, there were um, obviously digital publishing hadn't come out, doesn't come around for another 30 years. So there were at that time, a lot of publishing houses, especially in New York where we lived. I think there were like 22 or 23. Neil could probably back me up on that. But, you know, and so it was relatively easy to get published if you're a good writer and had a good agent. Today, unleash the, unleash the demons of self-publishing. I think the statistic today is now there's like 3 million novels out there in the last three years looking for an audience. People, writers looking for ratings. They're looking for, they're looking for reviews. They're looking for money, right? So they write series. They write things that they think, well, here's my first book and my first trilogy of the Martians come to earth. Here's my second book, my third book, my fourth book. Every genre has that. And it's like, if you're a new writer and you're, you're saying, well, this is my universe, I guess I better follow what everybody else is doing. You know, I got to find my own hero or my own set of circumstances. I read, there's books on, you know, biblical, uh, biblical uh, supernatural events. There, there's books on people that uh, collect dolls. And there's like 20 books on this one woman who collects dolls. Well, you know, that's fine if that's your thing and you've got a specialty you want to write. But I would urge everybody to really look at your imagination. Your imagination is what makes you unique. Your imagination is priceless. Stars are not priceless. Your, your, your reviews are not priceless. The number of followers you have are not priceless. It's really your relationship to your imagination. And are you doing the best you can to bring out who you are in your book? Please give that. Don't let the marketplace dictate what you should write. Do not let that happen. You think it out first and be very careful what you put down on a page before you submit it to anybody. Somebody once said that if you're a real writer, your first book gets published after you've written your fifth book. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to stick I, on it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And, and, and I, who knows? That, but going back to my point about the imagination, um, I don't know how many people really concentrate on their imagination. I happen to be very imaginative. I don't know where it came from. I had a pet gopher when I was three years old. and I sold my mother and father that it was real. Uh, so, of course, they didn't believe it, but I thought they believed it. So if you have an audience at age three, you think they believe what you're saying, you're going to keep that habit forever. But your imagination is amazing what it does with time. It matures. It, it incorporates different elements in your, into your thinking, uh, what might be in the world, what should be in the world, what, how do you get rid of something that's bad in the world. And you have the, the power of the pen. You can create a story to deal with any issue that your, whether it's your conscience or your imagination, wants to deal with. That is so valuable. You need to really assess that if you want to be, a, I, I think, a really good, serious writer. So the, the hero of this book falls in love with a ghost, and the ghost has issues as well. And together, they find intellectual and romantic uh, release. They they become whole again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a love story that um, is true for uh, actual people as well. Is there anything in the story that says the the live person the the male lead could it could do this on his own with a with a fantasy in his own head i mean can can he have possibly resolved his issues and his need to find love without actually having this ghost could he have done it with his own imagination well that's a, that's a good question you know, I suppose the answer could be, oh, maybe, but that wouldn't have been his his way of doing it. This is a computer guy who's like, you know, does, doesn't even know he has an imagination in this case. And it's meeting the ghost, Emiko, that makes him think in a new way. And it allows me as an author that I can go on and put my feelings about Japan, my research about Japan, which is a lot. I mean, there's a lot for a 55,000 word novel. There's a lot of stuff in there that you might never want to know about Shinto or the uh, the 16th Daimyo of the John Juju Castle, right? And but I I can make it relevant to either the ghost or to Adrian. So um, so the answer to me to your question is possible, but it wouldn't be a story. It wouldn't be the story that I wanted it to tell. 
But for those interested in reading interesting books, the reason I would highly recommend this book is because it has so many layers of um, of reality to it. And you, you as a reader, if you have any issues at all, can read into it um, whatever you want to. I remember when I was in high school reading, you know, books like Lord of the Flies that had all kinds of symbolism in it, and you know, it meant different things to different people. This book gives the reader the opportunity to make it out whatever that person thinks it is going to be about. I think to that point, uh, it allows you, going back and establishing Adrian as the main character, as a narrator, to make him so everyman and so sympathetic that you're going to go into his head and his mind and, and he does what you would do too if you were in his shoes. You would make in you would make things into what you want them to be or need them to be for your happiness, right? Then when he discovers that Amico, you know, suddenly he gets less selfish and he realizes, oh my God, I can't leave Japan. She keeps telling me to leave Japan. Forget the sword. Just get the hell out of here for your own sake. Says, I'm not leaving you behind. Says, I'm not going with you. You have to go with me. That's like the Western way. I love you. You have to go with me. No, I'm not. You know, as the Japanese do that. They'll, they'll say no, you know, no is no, it's not to be argued with. So the, I'm not going to spoil the story, but it's how he learns to come and love her and understand her, even though he knows he can't be with her. That's the, one of the most important things about the book. You can love somebody and have a relationship with them and not be with them physically or even ghost human life. You you're listening to you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9 and we'll be right back with our final segment. American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that Renee gave, it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank, and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. Broadcasting from the Evolve Advisor Studios in Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, or somewhere from the road. This is a show that takes a peek behind the hospitality curtain with you. We explore the food, the drink, trends in the music, and the people and the vibe that make up this exciting world. I am your host, Jeremiah. The Jeremiah Show airs Thursday at 11 a.m. and 9 p.m., Saturdays at noon, and Sunday mornings at 12 a.m. On AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Michael, you wrote Ghost with Two Hearts, and it just came out about a month ago. If, you know, based on what we've been talking about, it's a love story at the heart, and for people who normally aren't into love stories, why should they buy Ghost with Two Hearts and why should they read it? 
Here's the, the thing about this love story, why I think it's relevant for the times that we live in in, in, in America, right? In this age of polarization and cruelty and, and taking sides and all that. The point is that Adrian comes to the realization after getting and understanding this ghost and realizing everything about it, that he is so, uh, he and everybody he knows in America, they don't have an idea of what they're talking about. They, they, they're so isolated. Americans don't really travel. They just listen to their echo chambers. They're in these bubbles and all that. And Japan has a history of 2000 years and you can't ever hide that long in a bubble. You gotta face, you gotta face reality, right? So the lesson that a a Adrian takes out of this is that when, without running the story, when he finally goes home again, <laughs> with, without his sword, I won't say, but when he finally goes home again, he, you know, he knows what he needs. His love for Amiko, even though she's not here and she's gone, she's kind of in his heart. She's sort of guiding him and he knows what he needs. And the last two chapters, I think surprised a lot of people because he goes out looking, first he looks for Amiko thinking she'll kind of join him again. Like this is a romantic Western or something. She doesn't, right? But he meets somebody else that he's sure in his imagination, Amiko has sent to be his new companion, to be his teacher. Emiko, in his mind now, he realized, taught him so much that he could never have learned by experience, let alone in a classroom, in any place else in the world, especially in the United States. She has taught him about he needs to be work on himself. And it's not just necessarily a Buddhist concept, it's much more than that. It's like raising your life and your, and your self-awareness to, 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 to a place where you're not distracted by anything else in our country, which distracts everybody. You know, can you imagine living a day without distraction? How many thoughts go through your day on an average day? It's terrifying. At least it is for me. Aaron, excuse me, Adrian learns to begins to learn how to clear his head and see things for the first time that he's seen a thousand times before, but now he sees them for the first time. I can ask one last quick thing about a book that helped me write this book, influence it. It goes way back to the 60s. It was called The Teachings of Don Juan. And it was about a graduate student in America who goes down to Mexico, meets a shaman who puts him on peyote, which is what the, the drug thing at the time. But the real lesson was, you need to be enlightened. You do not want to be in a culture of echo chambers. You owe it to yourself and the rest of the world to expand who you are and what you can do. And for those of us listening that want to go ahead and buy your newest book, Ghost with Two Hearts, where should they go to purchase it? Well, we just got it starting, so it'll be in some bookstores around here. But the old, the old standby is is the uh, the the <laughs> the universe revolves around Amazon, right? For everything or good reason, Amazon. So yeah, you you go online, you can buy a digital copy. You can, I think it's nine ninety nine, and a uh, paperback. I think it's fourteen bucks or something. Um, and it's a quick read, but it's a read I think that's worthy of reflection. And if you really like it, I say pass it on to somebody else. And let them think about it. Well, thank you so much, Michael, um, and thank you for writing the book. I found it, I found it fascinating, um, it. and um, you know, welcome to being a full-time resident of Santa Barbara. Uh, and months. so, thank you again, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>